It's a part of who I am. So I, I think these deepest needs of the soul in the most powerful way possible are met by Jesus Christ on this essential. Jesus loves. And who does he love? He loves you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you grow spiritually and to learn to think critically for yourself. Mm -hmm. We are here to be your guides. You have to do all the hard work, but we want to join you along the way and help guide you through this crazy thing called life. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas <laughs> Peak. Welcome, everybody, and greetings. Today, we're on the second essential which is that Jesus is love or he loves us. And we're going to talk about that. You can't talk about love without in an American society without talking about sex. Yeah. So if you have little ones or little ears listening on the stereo right now, you may want to think about listening to this without them hearing so that you don't have uncomfortable conversations. conversations. So we are in our second essential titled Jesus loves and therefore he is love. Mm -hmm. um, he creates the possibility for love. He defines authentic love. He explains why it is the goal of the soul. Ooh, I like that. The goal good. of the little, soul. A little rhyme on it. <laughs> um, so let's talk about, talk about the implications. First, what does this mean for an individual? Well, I think individuals, this is ultimately our greatest need. It's what we're really driven for. Uh, we see this in the neurological formation of the brain and physiological mm. development. For instance, babies that are born uh, need love. If they're not held and loved, then their immune systems don't develop. Kids who grow up in situations without love suffer all types of psychosis. Uh, if you have uh, a very strict, regimented uh, environment for children with zero love, that's where most of your psychotic people come from. Right. Uh, if you have no structure at all, kids feel like they're not worth loving. And so they develop a, uh, abandonment issues, these types of things as well. Uh, so, uh, this plays into adulthood, you know, in adulthood, I think that what we forget or what we ignore is that when it comes to men, we don't realize how much we're actually driven in our soul to pursue or, or we need real authentic love. Uh, men ask the question, do I matter? What does it mean to be a man? That is, mm. do I matter? And as a teenager, you start asking this question, what should I do to see that I matter or answer the question that I matter? Because deep down, it has to be something that, uh, you know, you start thinking to yourself, what am I going to do with my life? And you do something, not just what I like, but you pick something that you think matters because you're subconsciously driven for this need. Uh, you know, girls for young men are a huge part of this. And the reason why is because one thing women don't understand about men. And, uh, I've said this over and over and over again. And I think women really, because of the way they're wired, they struggle with really resonating with this. And that is, is that men are driven to seek the affirmation of a woman. Most women think that men are just driven sexually. Oh, he just wants sex all the time. But what she really doesn't realize is the most important thing is affirmation. Mm. And because it answers the question, do you matter? 
And then here is a woman who says, yes, you do. So there's a big mistake that some guys do. And that is they try to ask the question, am I a man? And they take it to the woman. And this drives women crazy because they know deep (laughs) down, I can't answer that for you. Right. And then what that does is that's why men are so difficult to commit long term is because they're trying to prove to themselves over and over and over again, they're a man by chasing, as John Eldridge says, the raven haired beauty or the golden haired beauty, you know? (laughs) So she's a, she's an idealized woman. And so he chases after that. And then as soon as he gets it, he doesn't want it anymore. You see this archetypal thing come up uh, in a lot of the fairy tales, like sleeping beauty, you know, the prince rides in and what does he have to do? He has to defeat the wicked queen Go through a trial. Of yeah, some a sort. trial. And really what that's all about is for men is that they have to slay their idealization of the perfect woman so that they can enter into a real love relationship with a female. Mm. So he doesn't idolize her. He respects, loves and honors her. And so this all comes from what this deep drive inside every man trying to answer the question, do I matter? Which is a question of love. It really is women. Uh, it's a little different, but it's driven by the same thing. They ask the question to themselves. Do I have value? Mm. Do I have value? Will, will I be loved? If, if you, uh, when women are thinking, will anyone ever love me? What they're really saying is, do I have value? Uh, will I be loved or will I always be alone? Uh, will I have bonds, relationship bonds that can last forever? Um, how do I know that the way I'm living and my personality and everything is valuable? Am I secure? Do I know how I fit? How the, the, so women approach it differently, but these questions that women ask are all driven from the goal of the soul, which is to find and experience love. Subconsciously, we're just driven that way. And these are the ways this essential Jesus loves. It's all about loves is so critical. This is why this essential is so critical because it's designed to meet this need, this need of your soul, the deepest need of your soul. And it meets it in the most powerful way by the God who created you. Uh, so we've talked about men. What do we see in women? <laughs> well, like I said earlier, um, you know, they're, they're trying to find security, you know, and they're trying to find, um, value in their, they tend to be wired in re- relationally to that's how they experience love and acceptance. So when Jesus says he loves you as a female, what he's saying is I, I not only accept you, but I value you and I value the way you are wired and created. Mm. Being a female is not a bad thing. And I think that what Jesus would say, I know this is salty, but he would say to a feminist, he would say, stop trying to be a man to feel valuable, right? Embrace the feminine that, uh, that, cause that is a, an image of me. It's a part of who I am. So I, I think these deepest needs of the soul in the most powerful way possible are met by Jesus Christ on this essential Jesus loves. And who does he love? He loves you. So, I mean, I see this in my life. I mean, a lot of things are as a man I'm looking for is what I'm doing of value or matter. Does it matter? Does it matter? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Part of the reason I love what I'm doing now as opposed to what I was doing before in 
working in production. It just sort of felt like, you know, I love these things that I'm doing. I love the people I'm around, but it's like, it's, it just felt like it wasn't doing anything. And right. so I felt more fulfilled working here in ministry at the church in the last few years than I have for years before, because mm. I felt like what I was doing matters. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there's no higher calling, I think, than, you know, yeah. searching for and trying to save lost souls. And so it's like, that gives me mm -hmm. purpose, a purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I could see how in a spouse, I'm not married. I'm one of the few unmarried staff members. <laughs> uh, okay. All of you listeners out there, you got to know now, send me an email because I'm the filter. Send He's me an filter. email. I'm the filter for Jesse. So send me all of your contacts. I'll get on top of that right away. Boom, boom, boom. But my understanding in a spousal relationship is you're, you're trying to fulfill that for both sides and it's not your responsibility, but you're helping with that. Cause ultimately the only person who can really give you that, who can love you the way you need to be loved is Jesus, right? right you can't absolutely. look to your spouse to give you and complete everything about you. Like Correct. that's not a, we're flawed human beings. We just can't do that. Right. 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 But you want to, in a loving relationship, attempt to do your best in fulfilling some of these needs. Yes. So. Yeah. And that's really the goal of, of marriage is not what can I get out of it, but I've made a commitment to love this person no matter what. Now I can't love this person if I don't have love to give. Right. And so if I'm relying on them to make me feel loved, then you have this weird cycle that spirals downward. Right. But if you are connected to Jesus and you realize Jesus loves me, fills me with love, my cup is filled because of him. It's so much easier to love your spouse, even when they're annoying. <laughs> no spouses are annoying. Never. That's what I've heard from everybody around me. Never, <laughs> ever. <laughs> Uh, so if faith and a connection to Jesus is the best way to love, mm -hmm. why are so few Americans having faith or why is it weaning? Yeah, they don't, they're not pursuing it very much anymore. I think the world dramatically pushes a completely different definition of love. And so, uh, many people are buying into it. They, it starts off with, you know, the Disney princess syndrome and, and uh, then you go to school and it's really in the public school system. It's a way of thinking like I've talked, it's postmodern in its uh, paradigmatic structure, meaning its context. It uses or teaches tools of deconstructionism. And what it does is it, it basically defines love as first and foremost is possession. Right. And that is if you love something, you possess it. And so the harder you work to possess it, then that means the more you love it. Uh, love is control. If you love something, you're not only possessing it, but you want to control it. Right. Mm. Uh, this is really a big deal with, I think women in, in their marriages is that for, you know, they're dissatisfied and they're like, well, it would be, he'd love me if he did what I wanted. Mm. So that that's not a definition of biblical love. That's a definition of worldly love. And then you get go crazy trying to control your husband. And all he does is, you know, pull back further and further away. I think this all comes from, uh, the, it started off politically with, uh, uh Jacques Rousseau, the French philosopher who was a precursor to the postmodern philosophers. And what he basically talked about is that your authentic self is what's most important in society's job is to affirm that, you know, because you're perfect. It's society that screwed up, which I struggle with his math there because what is society? It's not this abstract thing. It's just people, right? 
So you know, all of these perfect people are yeah, the society that, that you're messes talking things up. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't understand that. So basically, personal fulfillment then is what love is, and that is uh, the world tries to. Uh, define love in a way that says, what does it do for you? And today you see a lot of this, you know, I mean, uh, I believe in, in healing and wholeness, but today the movements are self healing and self care and, and, uh, 10 guides to a new you. Yeah. It's all about self and personal fulfillment is whatever you're doing, make you happy. Are, there, are people in your life building you up or draining you? You know, what kind of energy do they have? And so what happens is you start basically evaluating relationships and everything you do based on do does it make me feel good? Does it meet my needs? If someone is not focused on my needs and me getting what I want, then they obviously don't love me. So why do I want to spend any time with them? And the problem with this perspective is uh, you you're you're removed from ever finding true love because you're defining love on the basis of yourself. You're not any objective standard is out the window. And so you lose it. And then finally, the number one way in which our society today defines love is sexually. I call it the lustification. Lustification. The lustification. That is not a word in the dictionary because our society has no idea what real love is. We seek fulfillment over real love and anything that interferes with your pursuit of what you believe fulfills you is wrong. It's discriminatory. It's hateful. It's wicked. It's evil. And this comes from what is called the expressive self. Mm. And we kind of, uh, got into it maybe just mildly on Tuesday, but the bottom line is, is that the expressive self sexually is what manifested in the sixties and the seventies. And what ended up happening is our society took Freud's concept that you are from birth to death, sexual being. And so kids can't be kids anymore. You know what I'm right. saying? And it used to be kids were kids and we didn't talk about sex in front of kids cause they had, they didn't even care about it, you know, until they got to about 11 or 12 years old. My father was a pediatric endocrinologist who did a lot of study and research in the development of uh, hormones and on you psychologically and so forth. And uh, his claim to fame is he's one of the five doctors that helped discover human growth hormone. And okay. so, uh, this was back in the, uh, late sixties, early seventies when he did this research. And I remember him saying on numerous occasions that in, in the sixties and the early seventies, girls didn't enter puberty until 14 years of age. That was the average. And by the time it was in the eighties, they were entering puberty at 12 years of age. So our society has moved forward and he goes, that is a physiological difference based on ideas and principles and things. And he says, what's really was amazing is if you find, uh, girls and boys that are sexually abused as children, they can enter puberty as early as 10. Mm. And so, so what Freud did is basically say that sex and sexuality is the most important thing about you. And God says, you know, Hey, I created sex. Sex is fun, but that's not who you are. That's not the most important thing about you. You're not going to die. If you're not having sex, uh, you'll die if you don't eat food or breathe air, right. you know, or get some sleep. But, uh, uh, we have to understand that this is not the personification of self. 
And yet what has happened is our society has bought into it. You know, I uh, have this article by a guy by the name of Julia Allison, and she was kind of a star in New York City. She had some reality TV shows with uh, Bravo. And anyway, long and short of it, what she says is she says, Sex and City ruined my life. The show Sex the sh- in the yeah, City. Yeah, the show Sex in the City ruined my life. She said she started watching it in high school. You know, she's kind of always a nerdy girl. She started watching it in high school. And so she started dressing well, wearing nice shoes, doing her makeup, got a lot of attention. And then she went to college and she started doing that in college. And then she loved that show. And she said, I want to be the main character in this show. And so she lived that way, became a dating coach and wrote articles and did all this kind of stuff. And she looks back on that experience and said, says, it's totally ruined my life. She says, I do wonder what my life would have looked like if Sex in the City, the TV show, had never come across my consciousness. Perhaps I'd be married with children now. Who knows? But I can say for sure that as clever and aesthetically pleasing as the show was, and as much as I agree with its value of human female friendships, it showed too much consumerism and fear of intimacy disguised as empowerment. And that's what I think is happening is, is guys, um, are the, the sexualization of who they are is dehumanizing them. And that's what pornography does is it dehumanizes you. I think for a guy, not, not for, uh, you know, I'm saying how do it impacts or influences males. And I think the sexualization of our society, uh, hides the fear of intimacy in women uh, and disguises it and saying, well, this is empowering. You know, it's empowering to go out and live this way like these characters in Sex in the City. But in reality, what she says is that all it did is destroyed my life. He said it was, it was vapid. There was no, there was nothing. And now she's in her forties. And she says basically that for the first time in my life, I'm discovering who I am. And she says this one quote that I think is really good. She says, my uh, principles and my values align and nothing like happened in my 20s. So, so I see this article from this gal and her testimony saying this way our society treats sex has ruined me. And that's mm. what's happening over and over. I'm sure you see this in your generation. Absolutely. I mean, we, I have so many friends that, that especially when I was on tour, that was kind of their, their mindset was well, I'm going to go out clubbing tonight because I'm hoping to get lucky or, yeah. and it's like, but then they would complain while we're on the road all the time. Well, I just can't find someone that I want to be with. And it's like, well, maybe you're going about this the wrong way. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, what the culture has impressed upon us through TV, media, whatever, um, as what success looks like and Mm -hmm. what you should be living like and how these people that are made up characters in a show are so happy because they're living this way. We are conditioned by the culture to go, Oh, that's, that's what I should be doing in order. If I want to be happy, that looks so great. Let's do it that way. Um, And I mean, ultimately, the culture is really conditioning us to believe that what we desire is like the biggest thing about us. So whether it's sex or, you know, money or whatever, like those are the things that drive us. And that's the most defining characteristic of us, not, you know, our personality, not our, our love or anything like that. It's that desire. 
Well, and that's, that's Freud's concept. And that is, is that when it comes to sex, right? You're, you know, infants are sexual, you know, the relationship between an infant and its mom when it's suckling at the breast is sexual in orientation. Well, I I can just tell you that, uh, we've had three children, my wife breastfed all three of them. And it's about as far from that as you can imagine, (laughs) you know, uh, and, and so what it does is it so warps your view of human nature and human experience. Right. And it just totally destroys it. This is the biggest challenge for our nation today is, is recapturing the innocence of childhood and letting kids just be kids. You know, um, I remember a story, an illustration this guy told me, or I was reading about this gal and she was talking about uh, sex and stuff like that. And mm. she was about, uh, eight or nine and she's traveling with her dad on a train. And she said, uh, she had heard, she goes, dad, what's sex? You know? And he, she was eight or nine. And so he said, here's my briefcase. Would you carry it for me? And so she tried to pick it up and she couldn't, you know, right. she was just a little thing. And his briefcase was real heavy, filled with books. And she says, I can't. And he goes, well, you're not ready to pick up that case yet. He says, there will come a time and what, and she goes, I so appreciated that because looking back, you know what my dad did? He insulated me so that I could just be a kid. And she says, my, you know, she said my confidence in who I am today, my courage, my strength as a woman. So people look at me and go, man, that woman is strong. Mm. She goes, came from the fact that my dad just let me be a kid, Mm. you know, instead of turning me into a sex object when I'm in the fourth grade. Right. You know, but guess what's happening? Sex ed today is 100%, 100% designed to expose your children and your grandchildren to sexuality and get them to start thinking that they are purely sexual beings, nothing else. Case in point, Atlanta. Atlanta is a major city, right? Well, the Atlanta public school system told a Catholic couple to remove their children from their uh, district if they want to avoid any discussion of LGBTQ plus issues in kindergarten. So the Atlanta public school system is uh, uh, introducing LGBTQ plus issues in kindergarten. The notion that that is not politically and agenda driven you know, it's crazy. It's 100% designed to turn children into sexual objects saying that your sexuality is the most important thing about you at an early age. And it's not just Atlanta. I mean, you can look at Illinois and Illinois, uh, it says sex ed classes to teach gender expression as early as kindergarten, first and second grade in the curriculum line. And this is where it's coming from your federal government. It's called the national sex education standards. And this, uh, saying that in the Illinois, they passed a law and the law is Senate bill 818. And it says that the Illinois state board of education will provide according to the standards to teach sex education starting August, 2022. And it states that the curriculum will align and be updated alongside the national sex education standards. And this is S I E C U S or SICUS. And their tagline at SICUS is called sex ed for social change. Hmm. Think about that sex ed for social change. So the notion that this is not agenda driven for political and social outcomes is absurd. It's 100% 
designed for that. Uh, here's another one in the national sex education standards showed up in, uh, Nebraska. And this is what's amazing to me. It says the roadmap for Nebraska department of education is to teach the national sex education standards. This is Nebraska. This is Midwest, you know, farm country, uh, deep red state, so to speak. And, uh, what happened is Justin Thiel said that I went to bring my oldest daughter and enrolled her in kindergarten. And he got a hold of these, uh, change in plans. And he said, I uh, enrolled her in a Christian school immediately. He says, because I'm not ready for my daughter in kindergarten in a rural Nebraska town to be talking about gender expression and sexuality and all this kind of stuff. Uh, here, here's what, here's what they're focusing on. According to the national sex education standards, children in grades three through five are taught about masturbation, hormone blockers, hormone blockers in the third grade used to transition prepubescent children, STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, and the difference between cisgender, transgender, non-binary and gender expansion. So this is, uh, for your third grader and fourth grader, which we're talking about eight and nine year olds. When they're learning to do addition yeah. and subtraction, they're expected yeah. to understand these yeah. concepts that they're throwing at them. And and what's interesting is Dr. Susan Greenwald, she's a retired pediatrician in Nebraska. She's worked with childhood victims of sexual abuse for over 35 years. She read these standards and she says they are closer to grooming than age appropriate education. And that's exactly what this is about. It's all about grooming your kids. And what happens is if you're opposed to this, right, then you are hateful. You are transphobic. You are. And see, they base that on this Rousseauian idea that society exists for no purpose than to affirm whatever you want to be. And this is where the the vapid dream a dream and become anything you want has morphed into. You know, when you, when you tell kids you need to dream big and go after your dream. And then what happens is your family unit builds all this context around that. You know what I'm saying? So if you grow up in a family where the tallest person in the family is five foot tall, you know, and you have no dexterity and your dream is to be an NBA basketball player, they probably say, well, your best quality is your brain. Right. You know, so they give, they say they, they, they help you modify your dreams from childhood uh, fantasy into adult reality. And that's why your family unit and your family of origin is so important. But this is happening in Nebraska of all places. And then, um, you know, there are these CDC groups that are out there that are, are really pushing. They want to teach trans ideology to kindergartners. This is also passed in California. I know a lot of people are leaving California to come to Idaho so that they can have their kids go to school and not have to be uh, facing this. But in Idaho today, there's a movement every time in the legislature meets is there's a group of people that go to the legislature and they have a movement called say the words. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to get these things entered into the anti-discrimination laws in the uh, state of Idaho, because once they do that, then they can go out and they can get this, uh, this uh, uh, national sexual education standards implemented into the public school system, they can do it because it's an anti-discrimination thing. Right. But in reality, that is all completely false. It has nothing to do 
with, you know, anti-discrimination. It has everything to do with attempting to sexualize children so that we have sexual expression to, to the point that you see it today, which is that, well, there is no sex since there's so much sex. And, and so that's what's going on right now. Well, I think it's just crazy that this is the expectation for children to understand. Like I think right. back to when I was a child and I'm like, I, this was the last thing that I would want mm-hmm. to be trying to deal with. And so, and you're a director of a camp every year. Yeah, like with, I think you got hundreds and fifth graders and, yeah. that are running around. I'm like the thought of any of them talking about sex. I'd be like, what are you talking about? They, they like, don't even understand how bad they smell. Yeah. You know like, what I'm saying? It's like, would get you them to change their shirts yeah. more than once during the week? We what are, what are they your doing? Shirt. What are you? <laughs> so it's like for that to be something that these people are going, yeah, they need to be knowing about this at this age. I'm like, what? Why? No. Yeah. <laughs> they have it, no way of comprehending what you're doing. So all you're doing is putting exactly. ideology in their mind of this thing that you're saying is now going to be the most important thing in their life. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's all about grooming. It's all about development. It's all about getting your kids to think in a certain way. Right. So I think that's absolutely ludicrous. Yes. To, as a as a brief summary of the thoughts, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that would agree with that. So um, as we wrap up, what should we be focusing on and what can we do to look at more of an authentic love, an authentic way of looking at sex? Well, you know, uh, our society is turning sex into a religion of self-expression. That's what it is. And that's why you have so much of this be whatever gender you want and all these other different types of things. And basically it's almost exactly like the Gnostic movement under Valentinus in the second and third century. When you go back and you read about the Gnostics and uh, under Valentinus and this movement and uh, what they did was, you know, just very similar to what's going on today, which brings. And if you want to recap on that, we've got the What in the Sam Hill series, episodes 102, 104, 106, 108, which would cover some of those things. Some of those things on Gnosticism, yeah. And and basically what's happening is it's ruining sex. It's ruining it. It's not making it more fun, more exciting. It's ruining it. Uh, And we're starting to see this in a real way. Uh, What people don't understand is in or have not um, probably heard much about is in Japan right now, uh, Japan went full porn, full open sex, full everything back in the 80s. You know, and it, it was just everywhere. It's just very accessible. And so people were like, that's why we like Japan. We want to be like Japan. You know, it's every, anywhere and everywhere, love hotels and all this kind of stuff. But what happened is it basically for the Japanese people have ruined the fun and glory of sex. Uh, now they have campaigns to try and get young men and women to want to have sex because over 30% of the population in Japan doesn't want to ever have sex. Mm. So, you know what's happened to their birth rate? Plummeted. It's plummeted. And guess what's happening? In the next hundred years, the Japanese ethnicity will cease to exist Mm. because they have so many older people, but they don't have any younger people. It's down to 1.5 or 1.4, somewhere in that range. And basically what statisticians say is that there's no way to perpetuate that race anymore. It's just going to cease to exist. So... 
As a salty pastor, I just wanted to share with everybody that sexual intimacy should be fun. It should be enjoyable. It should be fulfilling and exciting. And we need to recapture the joy of sexual inter- intimacy by rejecting our society's definition of love and sex. If you want really great sex, stop listening to the world. If you really want great intimacy, stop listening to the world. And maybe what you ought to do is you ought to listen to the person who knows the most about love and how you're created that brings the most joy, the most fun, whether it be sexual uh, intimacy, spiritual intimacy, regardless, across the board. And that's Jesus because Jesus loves you. Jesus shares these things as a path to not just to righteousness, but to a path of fulfillment, a path of joy. And the more you live in it, the more you walk in it, then the more joyful you're going to be. Well, what a way to finish this episode's podcast. Um, But we are so excited to hear what you have to say on Sunday here at Foothills. We encourage you guys to, if again, you haven't listened to the What in the Sam Hill series, episodes 102, 104, 106, 108, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those because they'll give you some context if you're a new listener. Um, But otherwise, we just really appreciate you guys joining us, um, listening to these, these thoughts we're having, and then going out and having discussions and critically thinking for yourself because that's what we're here to do is help guide you. But ultimately, you have to decide what you believe. Mm -hmm. You have to grow your faith and you have to learn to think critically for yourself. So thank you guys so much. And we will see you on Sunday here in beautiful Boise, Idaho. Blessings.